Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.podomatic.com. Hello, listeners. How are you doing? Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. I'm fine here today, and I finally found time to record another episode. This one is all about Americanisms, so stay tuned to find out more about that. There is a full transcript to almost all of this episode on the website, so check it out if you want to read what I'm saying. Use it to study the language, follow every single word that comes out of my mouth, or use it for your own reading practice. If you're a teacher, you can use some of it in your lessons if you like, or perhaps if you're a learner of English and you really want to speak like me for some reason, then you can use the script to perhaps record your very own version of this episode of Luke's English Podcast with you as the presenter. You could be me. You could be Luke. It could be, for example, Jose's English Podcast, if your name is Jose, which it probably isn't. Anyway, you can use the transcript for whatever you want. It's there on the website, episode 120, on either Luke's English Podcast or Luke's English Blog. I spent quite a lot of time preparing this episode. I made more effort. You're welcome. Uh, Feel free to add a donation if you appreciate my work. Uh, Click one of the buttons that says Donate on my website. Okay, let's get started with this episode, which, as I said, is all about Americanisms. So let's go. Americanisms. 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 So my dad recently sent me an article that was published by the BBC, and he thought it would be a good subject for an episode of Luke's English Podcast. And he's right, of course. It's a very good subject. Um, It's a brilliant subject. In fact, I would say it's the greatest subject ever proposed for an episode of anything ever. Well, not really. It's not that great, but it is a good subject. The article was all about Americanisms, which are expressions used in American English, which are increasingly being used in British English and Australian English, New Zealand English and so on. Many British people don't really like Americanisms. In fact, it's quite surprising how passionate some British people are in their general hatred of American English when it's used by British people. I sometimes hear people in the UK complaining bitterly about how they hear young British people saying, can I get or schedule or a whole bunch of. Um, So do British people have the right to complain about Americanisms or is it just cultural snobbishness? In this episode, I'm going to go through the list of Americanisms from the BBC article. You can read it below on the website. Explain what they mean and tell you if they really are incorrect or if the Brits are just being snobbish. You'll learn those Americanisms, but also we'll look at the attitudes of the Brits towards American English. Have a look at the whole idea of language change 
and consider the relationship between language usage and culture, paying specific attention to the UK and the USA. We'll find out what the Brits really think about American English. Just to be clear, let me explain right now what an Americanism is. Basically, it's a word or expression of American origin which is now being used in other countries too, for example here in the UK. The Cambridge Advanced Learner's Dictionary defines it as a word or expression which was first used in the United States but is used by people in other countries, especially those where English is spoken. An Americanism can be a word, for example saying diaper instead of nappy or can I get instead of can I have, an expression... For example, saying, just give me a ballpark figure. Uh, by the way, a ballpark figure means like a, just a general figure, not a specific figure. So, for example, um, some, you might say to someone, okay, can you tell me how much it will cost um, to, to do this project? And the other person says, well, I'm not really sure exactly. And you say, well, just give me a, just give me a ballpark figure. And they say, well, we expect it to cost about... £10,000. So, so a ballpark figure is like a general guess or an estimation or an expectation, not a specific number, okay? So just give me a ballpark figure. Um, it could be the spelling of a word. For example, theatre. Uh, in America, they spell it T-H-E-A-T-E-R. In the UK, we spell it T-H-E-A-T-R-E, a bit like the French. Or the pronunciation of a word. For example... The way we pronounced, uh, the way we pronounce schedule um, in the UK, it's schedule. In America, it's schedule. Um, although more and more people in the UK, as far as I can tell, are starting to say schedule, much to some people's great displeasure. <clears throat> um, or the word um, um, aluminium, um, which in America is pronounced aluminum. Uh, basically, we're talking about modern American influences on British English and how British people feel about that. Most of them are pretty pissed off about it. Um, this episode will be useful for you because you'll learn loads of vocabulary and it should help you to see the differences between UK and US English. It's also pretty funny to see how hysterical British people can get when they feel their culture is under threat. So let's look at this BBC list of Americanisms. Here's what, here's what happened. First, the BBC uh, published an article about Americanisms. In that article, a British journalist called Matthew Engel explained how some American English expressions are useful and yet some are unnecessary. Um, let me just add something here. He, he then uh, went, went on to say how he thinks... I'm typing... That's why I'm speaking slowly. He then went on to say how he thinks that American English um, should... No, he thinks that British English should be protected. He thinks that British English should be protected. So there you go. You see, just I'm typing. You can see that I actually write, I'm writing this as I speak. I'm still working on this. I've been working on this episode for ages, honestly, but no idea. Um, so he, he, he then went on to say how he thinks that British English should be protected. The article was quite well balanced at the beginning, in my opinion, suggesting that languages change and evolve and that English is no different. 
and that some American influence from 100 years ago was useful because it provided us with some new words. Ultimately, ultimately though, the article became a passionate defence of British English and a suggestion that Brits need to fight to protect our language, that enough is enough, British English now must be preserved or it will die. Um, That article received lots of comments from angry British people who used it as an opportunity to complain about their most hated Americanisms. The BBC received so many comments that in another article, the BBC published 50 of them in a list. That's the list we're going to look at in this podcast. You can read the list uh, and the comments on my website, teacherluke.podomatic.com, episode 120, as I talk about them. Each item in the list is a comment by someone and contains an Americanism. I'll read the comment to you, make sure you understand the expression which is being discussed, and then I will give you my comments too. I'll give you my own personal judgments on each Americanism from a linguistic point of view and generally just as a person. I'll be using these criteria for my judgment. So these are my criteria, okay? Number one, is the expression or usage grammatically wrong or is it correct? Let's look at these expressions from a linguistic viewpoint. Number two, is the expression effective as a way of communicating a message? This is perhaps the most important aspect of language, that it's useful as a way of communicating. So, if a new bit of language is clear and communicates a message well, what's the problem? And so that kind of brings us on to number three. Is each complaint just an example of British snobbishness and fear of American cultural imperialism? Why do British people get so angry about Americanisms? Are they angry about incorrect English or are they angry about the dominance of American English over British English? And I wonder if actually they have, maybe, you know, I wonder if they have a right to be angry about it. I I wonder. Maybe they do. Maybe we think that British English should be protected as it is now. Or maybe we just accept that the way British English is changing and being influenced by American English is all part of the natural way in which language evolves over time and it's always been this way and it will always be this way um so i also have a blog post here by someone called grammar man who is actually a literature linguistics and learning specialist from the university of california no he's from the university of carolina uh, which is in america Um, according to his blog his mission is to direct us towards clarity to be someone who can illuminate the joys of wordplay and the benefits of linguistic awareness. You can check out out his blog post about 50 Americanisms uh, on the the link that I've provided. So I'll be using Grammar Man's comments on these Americanisms too as a kind of backup source of expertise. Uh, Also, the fact that he's American, I hope, will make this fairly balanced. Uh, My transcript stops here. But I am hopefully going to continue writing notes on the computer sometimes as I talk. Um, But you can actually see the list. If you keep looking at the transcript, you can see the list of expressions and examples that I'm talking about. So, you know, you can you can still find uh, all the words, most of the words printed there. So let's look at the article. Uh, The title is Americanisms, 50 of your most noted examples. Um, okay, so um, we have um, 
It's the, the introduction says, the BBC magazine's recent piece on Americanisms entering the language in the UK prompted thousands of you to email examples. Um, here are the 50 most emailed. There's also a link there to Matthew Engel's article, which I mentioned, so you can read it. I think you can find a podcast um, for that too. You should probably search the BBC for Matthew Engel Americanisms, and you'll probably find a podcast. Um, so, okay, let's go through the list. So, number one, and this is a 50-point list. I've got a feeling that um, this is going to be quite a long one today, another long episode. We're, we're nearly 12 minutes into the podcast so far. So 50 examples to go through. If this takes too long, and this is a very, if, if this ends up being a very long episode, I'll just um, I'll cut it in half. Uh, it'll be like a cake um, that you cut in half, and you eat some of it now, and you can eat some of it later, you see. So, you know, you don't have to eat the whole cake now, because you might feel a bit sick at the end, you know, depending on the size of the cake. But... Um, this particular English cake, it's very rich. It's full of um, it's full of lots of nutrition and and uh, ingredients and things. So you might choose just to eat half of the cake now, and then put the rest in the fridge, um, in the eye fridge because it's provided by Apple. So you put the rest of the English cake in your eye fridge, and leave it there, and then just come back and eat the rest later. You could cut it into quarters if you like. That's the joy of the whole podcast experience. You can decide when. And how much to listen to. Um, so anyway, right, let's get started. Item number one. Um, this is the comment. Uh, when people ask for something, I often hear, can I get a, for example, can I get a coffee? It infuriates me. It's not New York. It's not the 90s. You're not in Central Park with the rest of the friends. Really? <laughs> Um, so that's from Steve in Rossendale in Lancashire in the UK. So he's angry about the expression, can I get instead of can I have? So, you know, I suppose typically when you go into a cafe in England, you'd say, yeah, uh, hi, can I have um, a cappuccino, please? Um, but increasingly we hear people saying, can I get a cappuccino, please? And that's quite American. It's probably originally American. Can I get a coffee? Um, but is it really worth getting so angry about? Because I think grammatically it's not wrong. Um, can I get? I mean, that's, that's uh, grammatically correct. Uh, the word get, uh, in terms of meaning, um, is pretty clear, isn't it? Because get can mean receive. I think in this example it means receive. Can I receive a coffee? You know, Can you give me a coffee? Can I receive a coffee? So that's clear. That's, that's easy to understand. Um, can I have a coffee? Have might mean... Uh, own um, it, it might also mean drink um, so what's what's the problem what's the difference between really what's really the difference between can I get and can I have I think really it's just that Steve in Rossendale um, is familiar with the expression can I have um, and can I get just sounds foreign to him and so that's a reason to to hate it that's a reason to get angry about it I don't really agree Steve I think that uh you should just chill out a bit, really. I think getting really infuriated by can I get is a bit silly. Uh, what does Grammar Man say? Well, he says, can I get a TV guide for this guy? Apparently, he has no pop culture references less than seven years old. Really? So Grammar Man thinks that the guy needs to 
you know, update his cultural references and that really Friends is a very 1990s um, reference point. So I'm not sure. I Basically, I think Grammar Man um, doesn't see the problem with Can I Get and that maybe even um, Steve is uh, old-fashioned. Um, right, let's move on to number two. So Mike Ayres in Bodmin in Cornwall in the UK says... The next time someone tells you something is the least worst option, tell them that their most best option is learning grammar. So um, Mike Ayres hates the expression the least worst option because he thinks it's not grammatical. It's not grammatically correct. I'd have to agree. I think least worst isn't grammatically correct. But I think the point here is that uh, whoever says the least worst option is intentionally sort of breaking the rules of grammar. Because rules are, um, are there to be broken, are they not? Um, and anyway, the grammatical rules are not cast in stone. Um, grammar changes over time, just depending on how people use the language. So who knows, maybe in the future you might be able to say least worst option. In fact, plenty of people already do say least worst option. I could, but I can understand least worst, not, it's not grammatically correct. Because the worst is already a superlative. You don't need least I mean, maybe you could say the least expensive um, in the same way that you would say the most expensive. But you wouldn't say the least worst because you would just say the worst uh, in, in the same way that you wouldn't say the most best. Um, so, yeah, I can see the point. But um, I think what what's happening here is that this rule is being broken in order to emphasise the idea that Maybe, for example, if you're voting for a politician and you've got three choices and you think each one is awful, you, th- you consider them all to be as bad as each other. In fact, they all feel like the worst option when you look at them. So you just choose the one that feels slightly less like the worst. So in effect, it's the least bad option. Um, but this is kind of someone breaking the rules of grammar. So... Hmm, I don't know if it's fair to get really infuriated by it, but uh, let's see what Grammar Man thinks. So Grammar Man says, Excuse me, sir, that is an example of intentionally using language unconventionally to emphasise a point. Ironically, sometimes one's most best option is unlearning some grammar. Hmm. So he, um, he, he, he kind of repeats what I just said, or maybe I repeat what he said which is that um, that's, that's someone breaking the rules of grammar in order to, to emphasise something. Um, okay, let's see. Let's move on to number three. And this is from D. Rochelle in Bath in the UK. And um, D. Rochelle says, The phrase I've watched seep into the language, especially with broadcasters, is one time and three time. Have the words double triple etc been totally lost grammatically it makes no sense and is even worse when spoken my pulse rises every time i see it or hear it which is not healthy as it's almost every day now Arr! okay that's from d rochelle in bath okay so d rochelle doesn't like expressions two time and three time which mean uh twice or three times uh, th- triple double or triple okay um okay is it grammatically wrong to say two time for example you might say um two time oscar winner 
George Clooney was spotted at the Ivy restaurant on Saturday evening. Um, so you might say the two-time winner, uh, the two-time world champion. That means he's been the world champion two times. Um, well, is it grammatically correct or not? Well, I think that this structure, for example, two-time uh, noun, um, let's say uh, two or number followed by a noun but not in the plural form followed by another noun that's quite a regularly that's quite a common structure you hear it a lot for example a three-star hotel um, a 10 pound note um, a three-hour journey a six-hour flight a five-minute walk a two-minute chat okay so if all of those are correct then why isn't a two-time champion correct i think it's i think it's all right i think it's correct i think it's okay in my opinion um um but the fact is it's definitely an american uh, an americanism because it's typical of america and in in england you'd say the the two-time champion you'd say the well we don't really have a kind of expression a noun phrase that fits the same function because what you want to do is say he's a champion but you want to tell us more about what kind of champion he is and use it use a noun phrase you want to say he's a and then what kind of champion he is so he's a two-time champion um in english do we have a noun phrase that does same that does the same thing he's a uh double champion double champion but really would you say double champion that means that he's I don't know. I don't think people say he's a double, he's a triple champion. Maybe they do. Double double Oscar winner. You probably would say that. But I think it's no more or less um clear than saying a two-time winner. So don't agree, D Rochelle. I think you 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 don't need to let your pulse rise. By by the way, your pulse is your heartbeat. You can feel your pulse by putting your finger on your neck or your fingers on your wrist, you can feel your pulse. So he says his pulse rises, his pulse gets faster every time he hears or sees this, which is not healthy because it's every day. Well, you need to take care, mate. Like, don't, don't let your pulse rise so much. Grammar Man says, does that phraseology communicate a point unambiguously? Yes, there's no problem then, except your blood pressure. Take some beta blockers. So, yes, the phrase um, communicates the point clearly. There's no problem, except your blood pressure. You need to take some medicine, uh, some beta blockers. That's medicine which lowers your blood pressure. (laughs) Very funny, grammar man. Very funny. Um, Number four. Okay, number four. This is from Simon Ball in Worcester in the UK. And he says, using 24-7 rather than 24 hours, seven days a week, or even just plain all day, every day. So he doesn't like it when people say 24-7, meaning 24 hours hours a day, seven days a week, or just all day, every day. Um, 24-7 or 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you might say, you know, the the shop is open 24-7, meaning the shop is open all day, every day. you know, I've, we've been working 24-7 on this project. That means we've been working on this project all day, every day. Um, is it grammatically incorrect? Well, 24-7. Um, 
it's I suppose it's not really grammar in a way because twenty you're just saying the numbers twenty four seven. There's no kind of syn- there's no grammatical way that those things are being combined. It's just we you we do it. We've been working twenty four seven. Hmm. I suppose it's it's kind of unconventional. Um, but is it not clear? Well, I think it's really clear. Everyone knows what twenty four seven means. It's like so efficient and so clear. In fact, it's much more efficient than saying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, it's, that's un- unnecessary, isn't it? So 24-7, it's not really, inco- not really incorrect. Not, un- it's not ambiguous. It's quite efficient. But I suppose people feel like it's not very sophisticated. So that's why people like Simon Ball don't like it. But he, he, yeah, he says, but why not just use all day, every day? So uh, I feel that there's a sense that he's just resisting change here as well, maybe. And that 24-7, I mean, come on, it's understandable why people say that. It's, it's really efficient. Um, but it doesn't sound, maybe it doesn't sound very sophisticated. Okay, Simon, uh, what does Grammar Man say about that? Let's have a look. So um, he says, using, uh, he says uh, when speaking and writing, brevity is a virtue. So brevity means like sort of using uh, the few, using fewer words, being being sh- uh, short and simple, keeping it clear and and, and short. Brevity, uh, he says, brevity is a virtue. Brevity is something that you should do. It's like a really good thing to do. Um, so I suppose his point is, well, it's 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 more efficient, therefore it's better. So yeah, sorry, Simon, um, don't get too angry about that one, please. Uh, number five. Um, and this is wow. Okay, I can't, I, I can't actually pronounce this name. No, I know. It's like a, it's like an internet username. It's Tyke in the Hague, Den Haag in Holland. So I suppose this is, this is a British person living in Holland. And he says the one I can't stand is deplane, meaning to disembark an aircraft. Used in the phrase, you will be able to deplane momentarily. Okay. Um, right, is it grammatically incorrect? Well, it's kind of new. It's it's a sort of a, a new usage. I think the Americans perhaps have a slightly more pragmatic approach to the language, which is that they 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 believe that they can kind of the language is a bit more flexible. They 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 don't mind. They don't feel like they have to keep to tr- keep to tradition so much with the language, and that they think, well, you know, we can say D plane. Um, why not? So they kind of come up with new words maybe a little bit more easily than we do in the UK. Um, whereas in the UK, traditionally, we, I suppose culturally, we value tradition. We value our past. So maybe there's a sense that uh, British people want to hold on to the, the traditional things, uh, the things that we're used to, because we perceive those as being inherently better. I think that the Brits sometimes can be a little bit um, conservative and a bit closed-minded, um, but you know we all have our tastes, and I suppose the Brits just like you know the sound of some of the old-fashioned terms. Not that English is an old-fashioned language, because there are so many old-fashioned usage um, examples of usage which um, are not used in the UK anymore. All you need to do is open up a, um, a, a Sherlock Holmes book, and you'll see that the language they use there is like totally different to to the way we use it now. 
they were all very sort of formal in, in the way they spoke. We're less formal these days. So um, deplane, okay. Deplane means to get off an aeroplane. So when your plane lands at the airport and then there's announcement, this is your, this is your captain speaking, you should be able to deplane in just a moment. Um, deplane, rather than disembark an aircraft. Well, uh, it's new, so uh, I, think it's, I think it's not grammatically incorrect because de, you know... Um, D, um, D is a prefix which can sort of um, mean used to kind of come off to de, uh, derail. Derail uh, is when a train comes off its rails. It derails. So D as a prefix means to come off. So D plane. That's pretty clear. It means come off the plane. I mean that's very clear. I think. Um, and if you compare it to disembark, I mean that's not very clear, is it? Disembark. And you, in fact, in order to clarify it, you need to say disembark the aircraft uh, with D plane. You don't need to say use so many words, so it's more efficient. But maybe you might say it's less sophisticated. I wonder. It's a question of taste. Um, so gr- not really grammatically incorrect, and 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 not really unclear. I mean, it, it's quite clear in my opinion. What does Grammar Man say about this one? Um, so he just said, "Get over it. <laughs> just get over it." So get over it means, um, well, if you've got a problem, you need to get over it. That means just deal with the problem and move on. So that's, that's all Grammar Man says. Get over it, mate. Um, right, moving on to number six. Um, okay, to wait on instead of wait for when you're not a waiter. And this is from T. Balinski in Raglan in New Zealand. Okay, he says to wait on. Instead of wait for, when you're not a waiter, uh, wait on, okay? For example, I'm waiting on a friend. Uh, I once read a friend's comment about being in a station, waiting on a train. For him, the train had yet to arrive. I would have thought rather than, I would have thought rather that it had got stuck at the station with the friend on board. Okay, so T. Balinski here is saying, Instead of saying to wait on a train, I'm waiting on a train. It should have been I'm waiting for a train. And um, so is it grammatically incorrect? Well, wait on a train, wait for a train. Um, Well, I mean, it's like a phrasal verb, I suppose, or a verb with its um, particle. And there's so many examples of this. You can't really say it's grammatically incorrect because there's just, it is a possible structure. It's 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 a structure. It's not... It doesn't defy any really clear rules of grammar. Um, is it clear, though? It's another question. Um, so waiting on a train can mean I'm waiting for a train. And that it, it is more commonly American. You hear it in songs. Like the Rolling Stones did a song called Waiting on a Friend, which is, tells the story of Mick Jagger waiting for... I think it's waiting for Keith Richards. Um, and so... so uh, but maybe there is some possible misunderstanding there because wait on a train because you also think well on a train that means you're in the train right on i'm on a train um so i'm waiting on a train yeah maybe it's not very clear okay so you've got a point there because it could mean either i'm waiting for a train or i'm on a train waiting um so okay t belinsky maybe you've got a point and it's not that clear what does <clears throat> what does grammar man say ah he says you might have a point but constructing verb phrases is always a tricky business. So he's saying that 
well, we know that verb phrases in English are difficult and it's not uncommon, really, is it, to have um, uh, problems with our phrasal verbs? People misunderstand each other quite a lot with those things. Okay, but maybe there's a point about how clear that, that sentence is. Moving on to number seven. So this is from Michael Knapp in Chicago in America. Now, I don't know if Michael is American or if he's a, an expatriate British person living in America. But what he says is, it is what it is, or it is what it is. It is what it is. And he says simply, pity us. Uh, so to pity someone is to feel sorry for someone. So, you know, if, if someone's dog has just died, you'd say, oh, no, what a pity. I, I really pity you. Uh, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. To pity someone is to feel sorry for someone. And so the, the phrase is, it is what it is. Um, when do we use that? It is what it is. Um, let's see. It is what, well, it is what it is. Um, it's a bit like kind of saying, well, that's what it's like. Um, um, you can't expect it to be any different because that's what it is. So um, it's like saying, oh, there's a big problem with crime in the city and, you know, we can't do anything about it. Um, and someone would say, well, it is what it is, you know, meaning, well, the, the city's it's a big place with lots of people. Of course, there's going to be crime. It is what it is. But <clears throat> it's not grammatically incorrect. It is what it is, is okay. Um, that follows a grammatical structure. It is what you want. It is what it is, it's okay. But is it clear? Well, it's not really, it doesn't really mean anything, does it? It is what it is. It's like saying, it is it. You know, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, so it's not particularly articulate a phrase. Um, but um, is it a reason to pity people? Maybe pity us. This is what Michael Knapp means, that we should pity American people for saying it. I don't know. Um, what does a grammar man think about it is what it is? He says, that has become a cliche. Yes. So, yeah. Okay, so it's a cliche. It's the sort of thing that people say, but it, you know, but it doesn't, doesn't really mean anything anymore. Right. Um, number eight. Um, so this is from Lisa in Red Deer in Canada. And she says, dare I even mention the fanny pack? Okay, right, I have to explain what this means now. <coughs> Excuse me. Right, I have to explain what a fanny pack is now, don't I? Okay, so, um, you know, do you remember in the 1990s, there was a kind of fashion trend to wear like a sort of belt around your waist, which had a sort of little pack on the front, a kind of... Um, little bag and you, it had a zip on the front and you could uh, keep things like your money in it so it, um, what do we call it a bum bag in the in the UK we call it a bum bag because it's like a little bag that you wear around your waist and it sits just above your bum right so it's a bum bag in America they call it a fanny pack yeah hey honey did you bring the fanny pack okay now um, pack kind of means bag Fine, no problem. Backpack, we say in Britain. But fanny, uh, fanny in America means bum. It's like a, you know, sort of uh, informal word for your bottom. Fanny. You know, oh, it was so embarrassing. I just fell right over on my fanny. Um, and uh, in England, though, your fanny is a different part of the body. So uh, 
Only girls have fannies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's a woman's genitals. That's that's the best way I can explain it without sounding rude. It's the private area of a lady. Okay, as a fanny. So uh, when we hear American people saying, "Honey, did you bring the fanny pack?" Then you know we kind of think, um, "What? What do you? What did you bring the what?" Because um, fanny pack would well. You can use your imagination, right? What a fanny pack is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a bit strange. But um, it's just vocabulary. Fanny meaning bottom in America. Fanny meaning uh, ladies' special private uh, area in the UK. And it causes hilarious misunderstandings. Now, what does the grammar man think about fanny pack? Um, okay. Uh, dare I even mention the fanny pack? And he says, please don't. We're trying to get over that fad. <clears throat> so please don't. Please don't mention the fanny pack because we're trying to get over that fad. Remember the expression to get over it, just to overcome a problem or deal with a problem? Well, in this case, he's saying that the fanny pack was a fad. A fad means like a, a trend that doesn't last very long, a fad. Um, so we're trying to get over that fad. That means he's embarrassed about fanny packs and he, he thinks that they're not cool because they look they don't look cool so he's saying please don't mention fanny packs because uh i don't think that they're very cool and i'm trying to forget about them in fact the the whole of america is trying to forget about that fad of wearing fanny packs so he doesn't really deal with whether it's a uh incorrect or not and it's not incorrect it's just a difference in vocabulary that causes um you know, mild amusement among British people who go, have you heard what the Americans say? They even call a bum bag a fanny pack. <laughs> so, um, yes. Right, number nine. To touch base. Uh, touch base. This is from um, Chris in the UK. And he says, touch base. It makes me cringe no end. Urgh. So, uh, to cringe means when you hear something embarrassing or something you don't like, you kind of go, oh, God, oh, God, I hate that. That's to cringe, okay? For example, if you see someone um, embarrassing themselves, like, for example, if your friend goes up to a girl in a bar and he, he tries to chat her up, but he, he just makes an absolute idiot of himself and he kind of goes up to a beautiful girl and says, uh, hi, uh, oh, I just thought I'd uh, come up and talk to you because... Uh, um, would you like a drink? Um, ah, you're beautiful. Sorry. Um, so, oh, would you like? Would you like a drink? No, you wouldn't like a drink. That's fine. No, but um, you know, if you ever do want a drink, then just um, why don't you just give me a call on my uh, on my email address? Oh, sorry, not my email address. My oh, oh god. Uh, and you're watching this, kind of going, oh my god, oh god, he's making such a fool of himself. Oh god, how cr I'm cringing. Okay, to cringe. So, according to Chris, the word, the expression to touch base makes him cringe no end. So he just keeps cringing. Oh, God, I hate that expression, touch base. Um, so, touch base. Well, what does it actually mean? Hmm, to touch base. It's the sort of thing your boss would say to you at work. He'd say, um, Luke, um, can I have a word with you maybe um, this afternoon? Uh, it's nothing serious. I just want to touch base with you on the uh, on how the project is going. So I just want to touch base with you. To so touch base, well, 
I suppose it just means, it really means just to, oh my God, I can't explain it. Um, okay, yes I can. I'm, I'm Luke from Luke's English Podcast. I can explain everything, anything and everything. Um, okay, so it's a touch base. It's to kind of um, just um, catch up on basically what's going on. Okay, just to kind of have a quick summary meeting to establish basically what's happening. Okay, so for example, if I'm doing a project like I'm doing Luke's English podcast and my boss comes to see me and he goes, Luke, um, can we just touch base about uh, Luke's English podcast? And I go, yeah, sure. Okay, well, what do you want to know? Um, and he says, well, how's it going? And I go, well, it's going r- really well. Um, um, you know, I've got lots of listeners. Um, I've entered another competition. I hopefully I'm going to win it if people vote for me. So yeah, it's going well. I need to change my website because um, it's just not good enough in my opinion. And there's lots of things I'd like to improve about the, the podcast. But basically, it's going quite well, thanks. And he goes, well, good, good. I'm glad that we managed to touch base on that. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing, Luke. You're doing a brilliant job. Um, I hope that, you know, some of those listeners out there, you know, maybe uh, decide to send you a little bit of cash. That, that might be nice for you. And I go, yeah, well, that would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. But uh, obviously, they don't have to because it's free. But they can if they want. Uh, they just click a button on on the website and my boss would say okay Luke I think that's enough you don't need to keep talking about that because frankly it's it's a little bit boring even though your listeners definitely should um, uh, send you lots of money so anyway I'm glad that we managed to touch base on that okay so to touch base is to kind of make contact and kind of um, just catch up on what's basically going on with a project okay um so uh, touch base but um it's just annoying really it's just an annoying cliche because it doesn't again it doesn't really mean anything um um yeah what does grammar man say well he says missing prepositions um make me cringe okay so i suppose he's criticizing um uh, who was it, Chris? He's criticising Chris's expression, it makes me cringe no end, um, saying that there's a missing preposition. So, that, that's, yeah, we're getting a bit specific now, but I think uh, it makes me cringe until no end, maybe. Um, yeah, well, I don't think either of them are right. Chris, maybe he's got a point. Touch base is, an, is it is an annoying cliche. Uh, grammar man, I think to say cringe no end is not really bad. Okay, listeners, are you all right? I hope you're following all of this. I'm just going to do one more, and then we'll, we'll have a little break, and I'll talk about something else. So here's number 10, and this is Curtis in America, and he says, is physicality a real word? So physicality, um, um, I wonder. It's Again, it's one of those kind of, I think it's an American word that's come from physical uh, and physicality. Physical, physique, physicality. So you might say, for example, you might talk about Daniel Craig's physicality. That's kind of his um, the way he like the way he uses his body or the way he um, is in good physical shape. Um, <clears throat> let me um, let me just Google physicality. Physicality. Okay, let's see what Dr. Google says about this. Uh, all right, that's interesting. Um, he rejected my search, saying, did you mean physically? Well, no, I, I meant 
physically Google. What's it going to say? Um, all right. Define define physicality. No, it's changed it to physically again. Um, physicality. Okay, right. Finally found it, which suggests that it's not that maybe it's not so common a word, but um, according to the Merriam-Webster online dictionary, which I think is an American one, um, if my computer is actually going to open this page, hello, can I can I read this page, please, uh, Google? You know when the internet just goes, no, no, sorry, no, you can't do that. Well, it's doing that now. You just click on something, and the internet goes, ah, let me think about this. I'm not sure. I'm ready to show you this web page yet. I think I should just... No, I'm going to show you like a little spinning umbrella instead or a little um, spinning clock. Yeah, okay. All right, now I've decided that I can show you the web page. So it's my bloody internet. It's always just decides when uh, it wants to show me a web page or not. Right, so it's finally opened. So the definition of physicality is intensely physical orientation. The predominance of the physical, usually at the expense of the mental, spiritual, or social. Um, okay. Um, and uh, a physical aspect or quality. Um, all right. Okay. Well, it is a word. Um, and um, let's see. Physicality. So is physicality a real world? Well, yes, it is, apparently, according to that dictionary. And Grammar Man, in response to is physicality a real word, simply says... Yes. So, dealt with. <laughs> Physicality is a real word. Word. Uh, I'm sure I can... F- I'm going to find a... I think I should find a... Um, uh, I should find an example of physicality for you. Uh, okay. I've, here is... Um, okay, physicality of the body. Um, okay, you might say that, for example, the, the, the Rolling Stones are well known for the extreme physicality of their live performances. Um, Okay. Um, You had the physicality of Ian Curtis on stage. So it's kind of like the way that you use your body, um, the, the, the way the way you move your body or the way that your body looks. Okay. Right. Now we're going to take a little break and we're going to hear from an American person on this subject. This is a, a writer from America called J.P. Spore, and he wrote to the BBC with this comment, and it's all about uh, the way languages change. You can read this uh, comment on the webpage if you're following it. And so J.P. Spore says, there's nothing wrong with English evolving. Languages are, by their very nature, shifting malleable things that morph according to the needs and desires of those who speak them. So... um, Malleable means that you can change the shape of it with your hands. And morph means to change shape. Okay, Um, Mr. Engel suggests that British English should be preserved, but it seems to me that this both lacks a historical perspective of the language as well as an ignorance of why it's happening. English itself is a rather complicated, interesting blend of Germanic, French and Latin, among other things. It has arrived at this point through the long and tortuous process of assimilation and modification. 
the story of the English language is the story of an unstoppable train of consecutive changes. And for someone to put their hand up and say, wait, the train stops here and should go no further, is not only futile, but ludicrously arbitrary. Arbitrary means when you just make a choice without really um, sort of, uh, it's just sort of making a random choice, let's say, uh, um, arbitrary. So why here? Why not stop it 20 years ago or 20 years hence? If we're going to just set an arbitrary limit on the on language change, why not choose the year 1066 AD? The Saxons had some cool words, right? Mr. Engel and all language Luddites on both sides of the Atlantic, including more than a few here in the States, really need to get over it when their countrymen find more value in non-native words than in their native lexicon. I understand the argument about loss of cultural identity, but if so many people are willing to give up their traditional forms and phrases, maybe we should consider that they didn't have as much value as we previously imagined. Okay, Um, as I said, you can read that on the page if you want to check it out. Let's carry on with the list. Uh, Number 11, transportation. What's wrong with transport, says Greg Porter in Hercules in America. Well, transportation. So in the UK, we just say transport. You know, for example, the transport in London is really expensive. Whereas in America, they might say the transportation in London is just so goddamn expensive. Well, they they might not say it like that, but they they would say transportation instead of transport. Um, So he's saying transportation. What's wrong with transport? Well, he's kind of got a point here, Greg Porter. Transportation is a word because enough people use it. Um, but um, um, it's rather long. You don't need to say Asian on the end of transport. Um, it's not really necessary. What does grammar man say? Um, <clears throat> transportation. What's wrong with transport? And he says, well, the latter word sounds more like a verb. If you say latter, it means the second of two options. In this case, transportation. What's wrong with transport? So transport is the latter word. He says it sounds more like a verb. Ah, well, maybe you've got a point, grammar man. Transport does sound like a verb. In fact, it is a verb, isn't it? You, you, you know, you transport things from A to B. So maybe he's got a point that transportation clearly uh, shows that this is a noun, not a verb. But then again, if someone uses transport as a noun, it's pretty clear that they mean it as a noun. So... Anyway, there is a reason, perhaps, why the Americans say transportation, because they want to clarify that they're using the noun, not the verb. All right, let's go on to um, uh, example number 12. And this is um, from Gareth Wilkins in Leicester. And Gareth says, The word I hate to hear is leverage, pronounced leverage rather than leverage. It seems to pop up in all aspects of work. And its meaning seems to have changed to value added. Um, Okay, so leverage. Hmm. All right. Um, All right. I'm I'm actually Googling leverage. I sound like such an idiot when I go leverage. Uh, But that's that's how you speak when you type. Uh, Have you noticed that? It might be the same in your language. But whenever anyone speaks, if they type when they speak, then they certainly 
spell out the word when they when they speak. It's just the way that people speak when they start typing. Like, for example, I'm going to look up the word leverage in the dictionary. And, um, okay. So, yeah. Um, um, okay. It's, a, it's, okay, I think originally it's a, um, uh, a financial term, okay, uh, in finance. Leverage, according to the Wikipedia online encyclopedia, um, leverage means, uh, well, it's a general term for any technique to multiply gains and losses. Um, common ways to attain leverage are borrowing money, uh, buying fixed assets and using derivatives. Okay, so leverage, let's say um, if you, okay, let me explain this word. First of all, a lever, a lever is something you would move in order to control something. So you, for example, pull a lever in order to operate a machine. So a lever is like an arm, and you, you pull the arm, uh, and, it, and it operates the machine, a lever. And you would use a lever maybe to lift something. For example, if you need to change the wheel on your car, you put something underneath the car called a jack. That's the tool that you put under the car. And then you use a lever to push down and up in order to raise the car okay so lever and it allows you to kind of there's a machine inside the lever or inside the jack which allows you to gain more power um you know from your movement right so in finance leverage is when let's say for example you lend someone some money and then you charge them interest so you basically leverage the money so you're increasing the amount of money you get um, uh, from from this transaction by in, imposing uh, interest on them. Okay, so it's rather a complex um, uh, grammatical term, but in finance, when they're talking about making more money, maybe from a loan by using interest, they they are really leveraging the money. They're making the money grow. Um, okay, so he thinks first of all it should be pronounced leverage because the um, well, the, the, the noun is a lever. Um, so why isn't it leverage? Well, that's kind of a good point. But there's so many examples of how a verb is pronounced differently to the noun um, in that word family that it doesn't really stand up. I mean, there's loads of them. Um, let me think. Um, um, let's see. Product. And product and produce. Well, maybe that's not such a good example. Um, uh, thought and think. Why isn't it thonk or uh, think and thinked, right? I mean, there's so many examples of how there's no logic to word formation or pronunciation that um, I don't take your point, Gareth. Le- leverage, leverage is okay, really. Um, um, so it... He thinks that the meaning has changed to value added. All right, what does Grammar Man say about leverage? He said, pronunciations are like opinions. Every speech community has one or two or three. So basically, he's saying that there are many different ways to pronounce something. All right. Um, Right, number 13. Does nobody 
So this is Michael McAndrew from Swindon in the UK. And he says, Does nobody celebrate a birthday anymore? Must we all turn 12 or 21 or 40? Even the Duke of Edinburgh was universally described as turning 90 last month. When did this begin? I quite like the phrase in itself, but it seems to have obliterated all other ways of speaking about birthdays. Mm. Um, So Prince... Uh, for example, the Duke of Edinburgh turned 90 this month um, to turn 90 rather than become 90. Turn 90, not become 90. Yeah, I mean, grammatically, it's kind of correct. Turn 90, I mean, sort of turn means, I mean, it's a verb, isn't it? So you, it, structurally, it's all right. But to turn 90, it means become 90. It's not that clear. Why would you turn 90? Why don't you just become 90? Will turn 40. Yeah, so it's a bit irritating. I don't see why turn is used. And the frequency in which it's used in the media is probably quite annoying. Why is it that in the news or in newspapers, why do they use like this different language? I don't think people in their everyday lives say turn 40. Oh, do they? I'm turning 40 next month. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. What does grammar man think about this? Um, in the linguistic wilderness, survival of the most efficient is the universal law. So I suppose he's saying that to turn 40 is, is an, in a, it's an efficient way of saying become 40 years old. And that if, uh, efficiency is uh, what really counts. And that when words are used to efficiently communicate, they survive. It's like survival of the fittest. Survival of the, the most efficient in this case. Um, number 14. Right, what time are we on? We're on... Oh dear, we're nearly on an hour. I think this is going to be several episodes, um, this one. Um, so, let's see. Number 14. And um, I for, for some reason, I feel like doing this one in a Cockney accent. No, I'm not going to do it in a Cockney accent, because Graham Nicholson comes from Glasgow. Glasgow. Now, I can't do a Glasgow accent, so that you might cringe. If you're Scottish, you're probably going to cringe when you hear this, because I'm going to do a really bad Glaswegian accent. Probably very cliche. Now, I'm not going to do that, because I can't do it. All right, I'll do it in a Cockney voice instead, because I feel a bit more comfortable, yeah, doing a Cockney voice. So, number 14, yeah, I caught myself saying shopping cart instead of shopping trolley today, and I was thoroughly disgusted with myself. I've never lived nor been to the US either. So that was, I caught myself saying shopping cart instead of shopping trolley, and I was thoroughly disgusted with myself. I've never lived nor been to the US either. Shopping cart instead of shopping trolley. Now, don't be... It's a bit of an overreaction, Graham, to get disgusted with yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Shopping cart isn't that bad. A cart is like, um, you know, sort of a wheeled a box with wheels that you use to transport things, right? Shopping cart. So what's the problem with saying shopping cart instead of shopping trolley? I mean, really, it's no reason to get disgusted. Um, it's just, you're just disgusted because it makes you think of Americans. So you're just disgusted that you said something that sounds foreign or sounds new. Well, that's not very uh, open-minded of you. Um, what does Grammar Man think about shopping cart? Um, okay. I think he's... No, right. He... he um, oh, yeah. All right. He's being sarcastic. And he says, yes, I agree. 
There should be only one name for every item on the planet. In fact, the same goes for people. Let's name all boys John, all girls Jane, and all hermaphrodites Joan. <laughs> okay, so he's being sarcastic. He doesn't think that there should just be one name for every item on the planet. In fact, he thinks that um, it's good that we have many names for, for things and that that gives, it, gives the planet an interesting um, sort of, um, yeah, it's an interesting culture because we have different names for different things. And then he says, it, uh, sarcastically, he says, it's the same for people. Let's call all the boys John and all the, boys, and all the girls Jane and, and hermaphrodites Joan. Well, a hermaphrodite is someone who has both male and female uh, genitalia. So it's like sort of both a man and a female, a man and a woman at the same time. A lady boy, maybe you could say. Um, so uh, Joan, it's kind of a funny joke because John and Jane, and in the middle, Joan, it sounds a bit like a cross between John and Jane. I don't know how uh, any listeners called Joan out there feel about this. Uh, they might not appreciate being considered somehow hermaphroditic. But um, anyway, quite funny, Grammar Man. Yeah, good job. Congratulations. Quite funny. But shopping heart, shopping trolley, it's fine. But in the UK, yes, we say shopping trolley. That's the thing. You know, when you go to the supermarket, you get like a trolley. You put all your stuff in it. It's, it's made of metal. It's got wheels on it. And it never goes in the right direction. That's a shopping trolley in the UK. And in America, it's a shopping cart. Okay. And on Amazon. If you go shopping on Amazon, on the internet, they have a shopping cart. I'm sure that really annoys some British people when they buy things on Amazon. <clears throat> I love Amazon. It's really convenient, but I hate the way they use the word shopping cart. Oh, God. Um, I don't think it's really a good enough reason to get angry. Hmm. Okay. Number 15. And maybe I'm going to call it a day after this one because that's one hour. Yeah, I'll do number 15 and then I'll stop and I'll do the others um, in, a ne- in another episode later. This is going to be a long one. Lo- maybe this is going to be a series of three or something like that. We'll see. Anyway, let's move on. Number 15. Um, Julie Mars in Warrington. She says, what kind of word is gotten? It makes me shudder. Uh, what kind of word is gotten? It makes me shudder. And if you shudder, you go, you know, if you're really, really cold, God, like that, you know, when you're really cold, you might shudder. Uh, So it's more than just shiver. It's like really strongly shiver, really heavily. God, that makes me shudder. So she gets really angry with people when they say gotten. Oh, gotten. What kind of word is gotten? Well, if you know what I'm talking about, gotten in American English is the past participle of of get. So in America, they say get, got, gotten or get, got, gotten. Right. And in Britain, we say get, got, got. Um, So you might say, for example, um, uh, um, I haven't got over it yet. In America, I haven't got I haven't gotten over it yet. Um, I haven't gotten over it yet in America and in Britain. I haven't got over it yet. Okay. So when British people hear gotten, they think, what, excuse me, what's that? Um, But um, so it's not really incorrect because, you know, in American English, gotten is the past participle of get. 
In fact, I think that Gotten um, was used in the UK years and years and years ago. Uh, we used to use Gotten. Uh, the Americans went over to America. The British settlers went to America. They took Gotten with them. And in America, they continued to say Gotten. And then uh, in the meantime, in the UK, we stopped using Gotten. We started to say Got instead. Um, so it's not grammatically correct. It's just different. So come on, Julie, don't get so angry. It's not wrong. It's just different. Chill out. Take it easy. Um, okay, so we're going to stop there at uh, number 15 in the list. And uh, I, I, you know, I always feel if I've started something, I feel like I should finish it. So I will come back to this um, and I'll finish off this list. Um, I expect in the next episode, um, who knows? I mean, I, I don't have time to continue doing this now. So I'm going to have to find time later on to continue going through that list. But hopefully the next episode will be a continuation of this list of the 50 most annoying Amer uh, Americanisms as voted for by the British public. Um, I hope very much that you've enjoyed listening to this episode. I realise that I go rather quickly sometimes, um, especially when I realise that um, time is running out. Um, so I hope that you've been able to follow what I'm saying. And uh, as I've already mentioned, uh, I think it's a good idea if you can, to check out the website because you'll see everything, almost everything I'm saying in this episode written down for you. And that will be a good way to help you really pick up the language, learn it, use it, and uh, conquer the world. Um, so uh, that's it. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, there, You will hear more from me in the near future. Uh, thank you for your... Uh, as you know, I can't end podcasts properly. So, you know... <laughs> I just wanted to say a couple of other things. Thanks very much for your messages. I get lots of them. I can't reply to them all. I just can't. I, I would be spending my entire life on the internet if I did that. And I've got to go to work, etc. So I can't reply to all of the messages. They just come in. Every morning I wake up, there's more messages on my phone. I just can't. I don't have time to re respond to them all. Sometimes I respond late. Um, but really, thank you very much for sending messages to me. It is important because I do read them. Uh, and it helps me to understand who I'm talking to. Um, so, you know, do write to me from time to time. It really gives me a good idea of who I'm communicating with. Um, so thanks for your messages. Um, I've been entered into the uh, Macmillan uh, uh, Dictionary Awards again this year. Uh, you're, obviously, you remember last year I won the, the uh, award for the best blog and you, you voted for me, I think. So thank you very much for voting for me. Uh, and I, I sort of went on about it quite a lot uh, earlier this year. But I'm, I'm in the competition again. And Dimitri from the Ukraine, I believe, was the one who nominated me. Thank you very much, Dimitri. And thank you also for the general um, sort of uh, bits of publicity that you've been giving me on Facebook recently. Um, you've been giving lots of people help giving them good advice on exactly how to download Luke's English podcast. So thanks a lot, Dimitri. I really appreciate it. Um, you're doing a great job. Um, and also, there's plenty of other people out there who, um, um, for example, voted for me this year and who I hope will vote for me again. Um, and generally, people who comment on Facebook and leave me comments on the website, um, I, I read everything. 
but I don't always get a chance to respond. I've had various comments on recent episodes which have been very personal and and I appreciate that um, very much. Um, um, I, I eventually, I, hopefully I will get back to you properly, but um, I have to mainly focus on just producing new episodes of the podcast. Um, and I, the idea is that each episode kind of can be listened to on its own. You don't have to uh, be familiar with, with what's gone on in, in previous episodes. Um, okay, so that's it. I'm going to stop talking now um, because I've got to go and uh, do some painting, actually, um, in a new flat. It's very exciting. I'm painting the walls um, and it's it's looking good. It's looking very clean and it's looking very shiny and uh, it's all beautiful. Uh, um, just a note, I'm, obviously I'm still here in Paris uh, moving into a new flat, we've got a view from the window of the Eiffel Tower. Wow, it's amazing. I can't believe it. I'm very lucky. Um, thank you again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. Uh, I'll tell you more in the future. Um, that's it for now. Well done for listening. And I, and I really am going to stop talking now. So bye, 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 bye. Thanks very much for listening to Luke's English Podcast. Don't forget you can visit teacherluke.podomatic.com for more information. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.